Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. The answer to the church's problem is found in Christ and in no other. The church needs to be remaining in focus with Christ in order that they continue to go in the same direction together. If I'm focused over here, if you're focused over there, and we're walking along, well, pretty soon we're spread out from each other. But if our focus is on the same point and we're walking together, even though there might be some disagreements, even though there might be some misunderstandings, even though there might be some other issues that are going on, as long as we're both focused on Christ and we're both walking, we're going to be walking together. The church was never meant to be as divided as it is today. Even the Apostle Paul dealt with divisions emerging within the early church. In today's program with Pastor David, we're encouraged to put our differences aside and walk in unity. The body of Christ was designed to live as one, So when we allow preferences, offenses, or misunderstandings to separate us from one another, we only end up dividing His bride. Let's put aside our differences to restore the unity of the body of Christ. And here's Pastor David with part one of today's message entitled, A Church Divided. In the book of uh, Revelation, chapters uh, 2 and 3, and you don't need to turn there because just using it kind of as an illustration, uh, the words of the Lord Jesus come to these seven churches, and in his words to those seven churches, he's, he's addressing some individual issues that are happening in each of those churches. Those churches were actual churches during the time of the first century. Um, some feel that as we read the book of Revelation, and in particular uh, the book of Revelation, that uh, much of that was just for that time and really doesn't impact us here and now today. Uh, most of those warnings, uh, most of the words that he gave him, uh, a little bit of uh, correction, uh, a little bit of commendation, a little bit of praise in the midst of it, But actually, as he gave those words out, some of the churches were actually doing the right thing. Uh, Many of those seven churches, though, there was a lot of correction and instruction that he had to give them. They were living in the midst of a a very dark culture during that time, uh, much like we're going to be looking at here in Corinth. Now, as I said, there were actually those individual churches there, and some believe that that's the only reason that that was written, was just for those seven churches of that time. There's another school of thought that look at these words in Revelation and declare that uh, it's really just basically uh, symbolic or allegorical. It's a message that actually deals with the universal church of of all time. Uh, Some say that each of these churches listed in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, they actually speak of uh, 
church ages through the years, and each age or each church represents a different age, a different season, or a different stage of the church on through the years since it was first established that we see in the book of Acts. Uh, Progression, uh, if you will, of, of the church as a whole as we either progressed or digressed uh, as, as a church from, from one era or one error to the next. And so generally speaking, that's what they think of uh, when they look at the seven churches of Revelation. There's a third school of thought that uh, kind of takes the idea and the thought that, uh, that believes that the churches in the book of Revelation uh, actually, again, allegorical, but uh, it deals with different problems within any and all churches. So uh, any one particular church, you could see a glimpse of each one of these seven churches at various times within that church's life, depending upon the current condition, depending upon the attitude of the church at the time. So in other words, each of us would have a little bit of Ephesus or a little bit of Smyrna or uh, Pergamon or, uh, or you know, Laodicea, all of those within us as a church, just depending upon the growth or the maturity, the faithfulness, the obedience or the disobedience or the sinfulness of that particular church at that particular time. Now, personally, I can see the truth of all three of these things uh, actually um, coming out of the book of Revelation. I have absolutely no problem with any of these three positions as long as they make room for the other two. If you say, no, that's just for those seven churches, well, I think you're missing a big part of adapting that or or, or taking that for ourselves, too. If you say that, no, that only fits ages of the churches, and right now we're probably living in the church of Laodicea, the the last times church. Of course, people have been saying that for many years. just depends upon when you're writing, whether you feel you're in the last days church. Uh, But there actually were those seven churches in those days that were dealing with those problems. We actually can see, when we look at the history of the church, these different phases and times of church history almost really does make sense. And I believe, too, that we can look at our own church or pretty much any church, and we can see some of these characteristics of of each of these seven churches. Now, I bring that to your attention because as we're looking at the church of Corinth, the letter of the Apostle Paul to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, he says, with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. I believe that we can see Corinth in all of us. I think the issues, uh, both the good and the bad, there is this commonality between Corinth and, yes, even the 21st century church that we are today in general and with our church in particular. I think that there's things as we're going through this, we're going to be able to see, and perhaps some of them are going to speak a whole lot louder to uh, some of you as individuals. Some are going to speak to us uh, in leadership within the church. Some of it's going to speak to the church as a whole, saying, wow, that's, that's, that's an area that we really need to look at in our church. That's an area we really need to, to change. We perhaps need to repent of and, and see the Lord move. Or, hey, that's an area that, we, that we're doing good. Corinth really blew it, but we've got that one. We're doing good on that. I hope we have more of those than the other ones as we go through, but we'll see as we go through. Paul writes the church, and we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I invite you to turn there. 
he, he writes the church, and he starts out with, with a few words, actually, of praise to the church. And we looked at these last week, so I'll not spend much time on that. Look down in, in verse 4. These are the words of praise that he says to the church. He says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in everything by him in all utterance and all knowledge even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short of no gift, and you're eagerly waiting for the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. So here he's got these few, these, these short words of, of, of praise to the church. Verse 4, uh, you've received the grace of God. That's an affirmation from the Apostle Paul to this church. You are recipients of the grace of God. In verse 5, he says, you've received an abundance of grace to, to share the good things of God. He says, you've been enriched in all your utterances. So apparently that church, there was some, some evangelism that was going on. They were making utterances of the things of God, I believe, in their community, in their society at that time. I believe that it was a church that knew the Lord Jesus. There was a love for the Lord there, and they were enriched in all utterances. Verse 5 also tells us that they were enriched in all knowledge. They were growing in their knowledge of God. And again, as, as Paul continues on, not only in this letter, but also in 2 Corinthians, and as we shared last week, there was probably, a, most likely, there was a letter before this. He's responding to some questions that they had. They're wanting to know. They're wanting to grow. It, with everything else that they had going on, there was this desire for knowledge and understanding. He says in verse 7, you've got all kinds of gifts. You've come short in no gift. And again, I believe that that's a word of praise, a, a, a delight in Paul's life that, man, this is a church that the Holy Spirit is moving in, and he's gifted this church in. And verse 7, also, you're anxiously waiting for the Lord's return. He says you're eagerly waiting for the revelation of the Lord Jesus. They're anticipating, they're looking forward. And I think any church to really and truly be alive in Christ, there's got to be that anticipation, that expectation that, you know what? The Lord could come at any time. I believe the Lord could come and rapture his church out at any moment, at any time. You think, well, that's an escapist kind of mentality. No, I believe that that's a reality of what he says. I believe it's a reality of what the New Testament teaches. I believe it's a reality of what we see Old Testament and New, how God hasn't, again, designed us or purposed us for his wrath. But we see Old Testament, uh, uh, again, signs of, of the rapture of the church. We see declarations throughout the New Testament. I think that we need to be living with that anticipation that at any moment, at any day, the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. I believe that that's something we need to be living for. If we're saying, no, the, the, the church isn't going to be raptured out, we're going to actually go through the tribulation, then we're not eagerly anticipating the coming of the Lord. We're kind of waiting to see, well, when's that tribulation going to happen? No, I'm eagerly anticipating the Lord. Can we go through worse tribulation than we are right now? Shake your head like this. Okay, okay. 
You know, Pastor Saeed, praise God, was released from prison. Uh, He faced uh, some persecution right there, being imprisoned for his faith. But hey, he was on the other side of the world. He was in a non-Christian nation. That would never happen to us. Really? Who says? Who says? You know, it wasn't too many years ago, really, that, uh, man, there was a huge move of God within China. And then when communism came in, all those who preached and proclaimed the gospel, they were imprisoned or they were executed. We see in Germany prior to World War One uh, and Two that, again, the, the move of God was so strong. They were sending out missionaries, great men of uh, theology coming out of Germany. And then once uh, the Nazis took control, those guys were shut down. No, I don't think we're immune to it, particularly as we continue to push God out of our society and out of every aspect of who we are. And we, we can see, I, I hope you can see, I hope you realize that in media and in the news reports and in politics and in education even, particularly higher education, but it's filtering down, that God is being pushed further and further and further out. And if we don't think that that's going to have ramifications on us as a nation, and particularly these generations that are coming up, these little ones that just went out these doors to go to children's ministry or youth ministry, if you don't think that that's going to have an effect on them, because God is being literally sucked out of every aspect of it, then you're not thinking clear. You're you're blinded by your understanding. I want to be anxiously waiting the Lord's return, just like them. Paul says in verse 6 and 8 to the Corinthians, he says, you are confirmed and, and held blameless by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, we look at these things, and he's saying these things. I believe that he's giving them an encouragement here. Uh, because suddenly, beginning in verse 10, we, we see this negative turn, almost a, a, a diametrically opposed thing. He's, he's going, giving comments, and then all of a sudden, in verse 10, he turns around completely and begins speaking about some of the problems that are going on. Guys, it's kind of like when we as guys would tell our wives, man, your hair looks so beautiful today, but that dress is just so ugly. You know, she's going to forget all about how beautiful her hair is because of what you said about it. Now, ladies, you know the feeling. Guys, you understand, okay? So he gave a little bit of encouragement, but now he's going to start laying, laying it down. He, he jumps right into the problems here in Corinth. He, he has to deal with it, and he knows that, and so he gets directly to it. It was the purpose of this letter. Look beginning in, in verse 10. In verse 10, he says, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Understand, this is the Apostle Paul speaking here, a guy who is dynamic of faith, dynamic in his witness, the guy that began this church by, again, coming into that community and uh, discussing and debating in the synagogues, and some came to Christ, some rejected. He faced much persecution while he was there, but he ended up staying there for almost two years, again, teaching and instructing and correcting. Now he comes to this church that he, that he knows, and it's been there now for a couple of, couple of years, a few years at this point in time. And we read here, it says, I plead with you, brethren, I plead with you. Now, that word there is a Greek word, parakaleo. 
Parakaleo is a combination of two words. Para meaning come alongside of, and kaleo meaning call. It's the idea of I, I calling alongside. It's like, man, I'm going to come and I'm going to I'm going to surround you. Come near me. It's the idea of inviting or invoking or imploring or beseeching or or urging or exhorting or entreating or I pray. Let's just face it. Paul, as an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, with all of the apostolic authority that he has, he's coming and saying, "I'm begging you guys. I'm begging you guys." You see, there's a heart of a pastor here that's breaking because he sees what's going on in this church. A church that no doubt, you know, as he had told him earlier, man, you're enriched in everything in him in all utterance and knowledge, but you're being divided. You're being broken up, and that's going to bring damage. He comes to them, speaking to them as brothers and sisters, Ones that he cares really deeply about. One that literally he laid his own life on the line for. They're loved ones. They're not his adversaries. No, this is, this is family that he's talking to. And sin had entered into that body. But you know, that sin didn't lessen the relationship, but it can, and it does do great damage to the fellowship. There are still brothers and sisters in Christ But because that sin of division had come in, now the fellowship together is being divided and and, and spread apart. It's not as close as it used to be. Again, brothers divided, they still remain brothers, but they're no longer friends. Think about that for a moment. Brothers or sisters divided still remain brothers or sisters, but they're no longer friends. Some of you might be able to even to, to attest to that in your own physical family. Still brothers or sisters with family, but there's no friendship, there's no kinship, there's no closeness there anywhere. I use the word kinship and that's not correct. There's no friendship, there's no fellowship there. And see, that's what was going on with with them. It's it's like what Amos says in Amos chapter 3, how can two walk hand in hand unless they be in agreement? And the church in Corinth wasn't in agreement. There was the divisions that were starting to come in there. And so since they weren't in agreement, they weren't walking in unity. They weren't walking in continued purpose together. And even as Paul beseeches them, as he begs them, as he pleads with them, he does so with that apostolic authority and by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting. This is the 10th verse, and already this is the 10th time that Paul has made reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants to make sure that this church understands that they need to keep their focus on Christ. The answer to the church's problem is found in Christ and in no other. The church needs to be remaining in focus with Christ in order that they continue to go in the same direction together. If I'm focused over here, if you're focused over there, and we're walking along, well, pretty soon we're spread out from each other. But if our focus is on the same point and we're walking together, even though there might be some disagreements, even though there might be some misunderstandings, even though there might be some other issues that are going on, as long as we're both focused on Christ and we're both walking, we're going to be walking together. But this church has lost that, and that's what Paul is dealing with. And this is serious stuff. He's dealing with, here at this point in time, he's dealing with divisions within the body of Christ. And just as we looked at Sunday, when we were looking at Luke chapter 11, Jesus says, how can a house divided 
within itself stand. And he's saying, you know, that's the problem with the church right now. If the church is divided, it's not going to stand. Uh, it won't prosper. It, it won't have any impact on the community. And it won't last. You know, a church divided becomes the gossip point of the community. Oh, do you hear what happened over yeah, that church over there? Yeah, they ran the pastor off, and now this and all of this is going, and that's going. And, you know, it be, we become mockery for the world. And, beloved, when we become mockery for the world, you know what? Our Jesus is being mocked because we are to be the body of Christ. And the body of Christ divided will not stand, and you know what? It will not last. When they nail the name Ichabod on the front of a church door, what a horrible thing. The spirit is left. No more life in it. Division is such a horrible thing to happen to the body of Christ, and, and Paul has every right to be concerned with this church. The, the church was going in different directions. They were speaking different things, and it was bringing about all kinds of divisions. He tells them that they all need to speak the same way. Now, this could have been dealing with major doctrinal issues. Hey, in these major doctrinal issues, you guys need to be of one heart and one mind and one understanding. And although it's touched on a little bit later, it, I don't think that's really the problem here that we see in this letter. It could have been the direction of the church's ministries. You know, one ministry is going over here and one ministry over there. But again, we don't really see that much later in the letter as far as bringing correction. It would appear to be the problem that there, the simple unity of the church, the, the oneness of the church, had been undermined by this desire to, to, to form up into divisions. And from what we find in the context of, of what Paul has written here, it would appear as though these divisions actually dealt with superior spirituality, spiritual snobbiness, okay? You know what I mean? Uh, kind of a one-upsman spirituality that's going on. Listen to what he warns them of here. He says, there shouldn't be any divisions among you. He says, you need to be perfectly joined together. He says, you need to be in or of the same mind. You need to be in or of the same judgment. And then he goes on to tell them that there's pretty sufficient evidence, again, for his concern and for the accusations that he's making. Look at verse 11. It's been declared to me concerning you, my brother, by those from Chloe's house that there's contentions among you. There's a battle going on. And now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Well, who was it that came from Chloe's household? We have no way of knowing. And I'd say, well, there's probably some snitch from the church of Corinth. No, I think it was somebody that probably had a real heart break over what was going on in their church. And they probably went to Paul and said, man, Paul, we need your help. We're falling apart. We're, we're so divided. We're, it's not the unity. And, you know, it's interesting when a church first starts at the very early stages, a small, intimate group, everybody knows everybody, everybody knows everybody's kids and everything. And then everything is wonderful and sweet and all united. And then as the church grows, pretty soon that it starts spreading out, spreading out, and pretty soon. It's not that you don't know everybody. 
The sad part comes is when you don't know anybody. The book of 1 Corinthians is probably best known for its passage on love in chapter 13. You've probably heard these verses spoken at weddings, but these words on the character of love can also be applied to our relationship with God. God loved us so much that He gave His Son to stand in our place of judgment. Jesus came to this earth to live a perfect life and then took every sin of every human being upon Himself, dying so that we didn't have to. That incredible love is available to you right now. If you want to know more about Jesus and the life of forgiveness and love He has waiting for you, please call us at 520-836-9676. You can also send us an email by visiting our website at theopenword.com. As a next step, we encourage you to find a solid Bible-based church to help you grow in your walk with God. With a special invitation regarding that, here's Pastor David. Hey, I hope that today's message has encouraged you in your faith and given you a hunger to learn more about God. If you're in the Casa Grande area and are looking for a church to attend, I'd be honored to have you join us here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande. You can find directions and service times by visiting theopenword.com and following the links to our church homepage. We welcome you to be a part of our time of worshiping our Creator and studying the words of the Bible verse by verse, growing closer to Him each week. Thanks, Pastor David. We are so glad you joined us today here on The Open Word. Pastor David will return to share more from the book of 1 Corinthians right here on The Open Word. Make us more.